And good morning, somewhere. Good afternoon here. This is PFG Live, coming to you from Southern New Hampshire. Welcome aboard. Let's see, who do we have checking in today? We have um, Unix Carbide is checking in from Tokyo, Japan, and reporting like uh, 96, 96. 96 degrees and 96% relative humidity. Sounds pretty sticky. Uh, DBX reporting 83 degrees in Rockland County, New York, partly cloudy, relative humidity of 67%, and adequate bagels. Let's see, uh, Wes is reporting 75 degrees in south-central Idaho and expecting high winds and potatoes later today. Or, I'm sorry, potatoes. Um... Carl, down in the Rhode Island. Welcome aboard, sir. It's 80 and sunny in the People's Republic of Rhode Island. Your favorite third world country. <laughs> we still like you. Uh, let's see. Almost is here. Welcome aboard, sir. 100 and rising on the northwest side of Phoenix. Welcome aboard. CJ Stevens says 81 and it just finished rating in the east. The east. Of Tennessee, you know how you spell Tennessee, and it's got the two e's at the end. He's in the last of the two e's. Uh, Robert Robert Isaac is here. All rise. Be seated. We await your uh, weather report, sir. Let's see who else is here. We're doing good. So um, it's been a it's been a week. Microbe, great name, Frankfurt. 14F and windy. Frock, frock, Frockfurt? Where are you, 14F? I do not understand. Okay, so Robert Isaac says 73, cloudy and wet. Uh, but you have to tell me where. Not for me, for everybody else. So, uh, oh, DAT2T, DAT2T. Uh, good evening, 59 Fahrenheit, 15 Celsius, 84% humidity in rainy southern Germany. Welcome aboard, sir. Welcome. Uh, good to have you again. CJ Stevens says, in the one and only town of Strawberry Plains. I didn't know that. Strawberry Plains, Tennessee. That should be a song. That's right. Robert Isaac is in Chicago. Well, the weather today here in the east, I am reporting 78 Fahrenheit and 42% relative humidity. And absolutely beautiful. I I sat outside and just stared at the sky for half an hour this morning, and that was uh, outstanding therapy. Uh, so it's been a very interesting, interesting week. The most uh, prominent part of this past week was, was me getting a custom-made splint to to prevent my thumb from moving uh, because of some uh, thumb pain due to the inevitable uh, arthritis. Practical Renaissance. Uh, good afternoon. 79 Fahrenheit and sunny in Kansas City. Welcome. Um, yeah, we got a lot got a lot done this week. It was a weird week. And we have some topics today that are extending uh, back a couple of weeks. I think you'll enjoy. We'll bring them in for a landing. Um, 
and then we'll take questions from from the crew to see if we uh, we can't address some other issues. Let's see what just popped up. Yeah, everything seems to be working. So uh, this past week, a couple of things happened. I've got I got my um, hygrometers from DigiKey, and I wanted to share with you some of the details of that because. Uh, I'm going to be making a specific recommendation about what you should do in your uh, environment, your 3D printing environment, uh, with respect to um, controlling humidity, especially for uh, storage of your filaments. Let's turn that off. Almost Machining says, was wondering, Phoenix Valley... Buckeye to Apache Junction via the interstate is a little more than a mile longer than New Hampshire is east to west. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of skinny. You know, one of the funniest things we say about New Hampshire is that it has 12 miles of sprawling coastline. And Carl says, which Kansas City? A very good point. You can't get away with much around here, I'll tell you that. So... <laughs> So for, on the electronic side, we received uh, more of these uh, hygrometers. Now, but I don't want to touch it yet. I, I've shown you pictures of it before, and in fact, in our uh, in our slide this morning, let's see if I could bring that back up. Of course, now I turn them off. Boom. So in our slide this morning, if you look right. Uh, Right there, there's a picture of one of our um, Sensorian eval boards for their humidity sensor. So right now I have three of them sitting here on my desk. An old version, which is the first one. Hey, Tucker, welcome aboard, buddy. Uh, nice to see you. Uh, but you need to give us a weather report, dude. So I, I have the Sensorian that my friend Doug gave me, and it's it's we've been playing with that in the lab, and I've, we've been reporting on that. But I just received two more new ones, and it's a later generation. And they're uh, claiming some better accuracies even for relative humidity. So they're saying plus or minus 1.8%. Let's just call that 2%. So plus or minus 2% is their claimed accuracy on these uh, devices and then the the eval board is their device plus a processor plus a bluetooth interface plus a display and it's pretty slick so just to give you an idea right now the temperatures on those units are reading 77.5 77.4 77.2 77 not bad the relative humidity on, on these three guys are 49.7, 51.7, and 50.3. So, once again, relative humidity is kind of elusive when it comes to to uh, accuracy. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Tucker says it's 83 degrees, partly cloudy with rain later tonight. In? In? Location. People need to know this. You realize there are people listening to this 
you know, weeks after the fact. And it's very important for them to know what temperature you were dealing with today. So, um, okay, let's get back. Let's, uh, hate to jump around, but we always jump around. So when I was over at the, the uh, hand specialist getting my little splint made, um, oh, Buffalo, of course, Buffalo. You mean there's no snow today, Tucker? <laughs> Come on. Buffalo, New York always has snow. Uh, yeah, Unix Carbide says, historical temperature reports is why I tune in. Thank you very much. Kansas City. Kansas is 83F, but he's in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Oregon is 71, and Kansas City, Tennessee is 77. I had no idea. Did anybody else know that there were this many Kansas cities? Because that's nuts. Robert Simpson is here, and he reports 74 Fahrenheit intermittent rain north of Detroit. Welcome. Collect them all. Um, yeah, I think I once related the story of uh, when I used to fly gliders, there was a uh, there was a triangle that you could fly, which was a legal 300-kilometer triangle to get one of your badges from the FAI. And that uh, that was Plymouth, Plymouth, Plymouth. <laughs> Plymouth, Massachusetts, Plymouth, Vermont, Plymouth, Connecticut. And that was a legal 300-kilometer. I did not invent that, by the way. My friend Rick did. Uh, let's see. Yes, interesting. So you're looking at something called the Sensor Push HTP, Wireless Thermometer, Hygrometer, Barometer. So um, this stuff is not expensive. So here's the new here's the new Sensorian uh, Hygrometer. If you're watching on the video, there it is. Okay. And this little guy here, which, by the way, all the instructions you need to know to operate it are on the back. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And and also, if you look at that little black dot right there on the circuit board, that is the sensor. That's what they're selling. But this is an eval board. Now, this costs $30, which, you know, on one hand is kind of expensive. On the other hand, it's $30. So... I believe that uh, that device absolutely moves the decimal point for accuracy um, to the left and and is pretty impressive. So plus or minus 1.8%, I believe. Oh, the one you just quoted is 90 bucks. So my plan is to make, I'm going to 3D, I know this is going to come as a shock to you. <laughs> I'm going to 3D print a little case for these and it, for 30 bucks, it's, it's pretty darn impressive, and it uses a 2032 battery, which is a very, a very standard battery. Why do I bring all this up? Because we've been using, in our in our inexpensive uh, hygrometer department, we've been using these $3 hygrometers, okay, which have been very popular. In fact, I recently saw this um, discussed on the YouTube video of a very, very, very large uh, subscription YouTube channel, and... Of course, they take it as writ, like this is this is absolutely accurate. Um, what I'm what I'm recommending now, having having played with the Sensorian and looking at real numbers, 
I think these little round $3 guys that we've been buying are, are totally adequate to a certain task, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but at the low end, the accuracy is terrible, but it is calibratable. So if you, um, if you are going to start monitoring humidity in your, in your uh, storage means for your filament, my recommendation is sure, keep, keep using the cheap hygrometers, but calibrate them against one of these sensorians. So you buy one of these $30 sensorians and you, you declare it as, as the standard. That is the, you know, the ultimate standard for your, for your shop. And then when you get these $3 guys, you unbox them. Uh, DBX found another one. Boveda one-step hygrometer mess-free calibration kit. What do you know? We'll have to look at that. So you buy the Sensirian, you convince yourself that it is good, and then you use it as your uh, calibration source. And then when you order your dozen of these $3 round hygrometers, you put it into a container, you, you seal it up, you let everything settle, which is really important because the time constant on these is not fast. And then you observe them. Now, one of the things we've observed, and I, by we, I mean, I mean my friend Doug, um, is, let's see, Robert Simpson says the cheap ones are plus or minus 10% at best. <laughs> I'm going to have some bad news for you in a minute. Uh, in your experience, good for relative reference. Excellent. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about, is, is using them as a relative uh, uh, instrument. Um. At the low end, things get really chunky, okay, and uh, not too uh, not too impressive. Um, but if you calibrate it and you at least know, then uh, you know what to expect. So what I've come up with, well, what Doug what Doug reported to me, and then I later verified, is that when these things, when these guys say ten percent. Okay, and we verified this. When they say 10%, first of all, that's the bottom of their range. They never display lower than 10%. And we've observed them at 10%, and on the Sensurian, we're reading 18% relative humidity. So that, that ain't no 10% error. <laughs> that's a big error. Uh, hey, good morning to Machine NZ. Welcome aboard, sir. Nice to see you. I, I Let's see. Are we going to make you late for work again today? <laughs> You know, everybody in your workplace is going to start saying, how come everybody else is grumpy on Monday mornings, but you're like, you're kind of happy on Monday mornings. Don't tell them the secret. So, really? So Okayama, Japan is the sister city to Kansas City, Missouri. Who knew? And it is reporting 80 degrees Fahrenheit and 82% relative humidity. Okayama, welcome aboard. Um, so you, 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 you buy your, um, uh, your cheap hygrometers and you calibrate them against your reference, which I'm recommending the Sensurian unit. Um, if you want the, the order number, I have it. So I got it from 
DigiKey. And the DigiKey part number, stand by. I got to find it here. Here it is. <laughs> and for you guys listening on the podcast, I know this is real exciting. Uh, part number 1649 Sierra Hotel Tango 4 X ray smart gadget. <laughs> I'm not even making this up. You'll find it. And it is from Sensurian AG. Um, and the price on this was it's not this is a shipping form so I don't have it but it was basically 30 bucks Jones and Shipman 540 oh good for you that sounds very exciting we want pictures or it didn't happen so um, here's what I've been doing I've been saying if that if the uh, cheap hygrometer hits 12%, I'm in there changing out my uh, my desiccant. Um, I'm even suspicious when it hits 11%. So really, I'm using it as a switch. Hey, Robert Simpson uh, just put it in chat. So if you guys want to copy and paste it, there it is. Correct. So you could make the argument that 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 this device is now acting like a go a go no go detector, and unfortunately, I am reporting the same. So it depends on your uh, level of tolerance. Uh, if you'll allow the pun, if you're willing to take uh, 20, 25 percent relative humidity, you know maybe you can not operate that quickly. And DBX just put the link right into Discord. Thank you, sir. So that's sort of an update on the um, on the hygrometers because I'm still using them. They're still useful, but the number is sort of a a, a fantasy at the low end. So I, I have um, I want to show you a, a picture. Let's see if I can find this thing. Yeah, here it is. So uh, for those of you on video, you you can kind of see this if you're on. The podcast, I will explain it. So this is from Sensorian, and this is for their new uh, sensors, which is the uh, SHT, which is unpronounceable, uh, 4X series. So there's a, 41, a 40, a 41, a 42. And the 40, for example, has this pretty flat calibration curve, very nice, and then it starts losing cal below 10% and above 90%. However, if instead you use their 41 series, you'll notice that the bottom end of the range is flat as a filbert, okay? Um, so if we're interested in the low humidity levels, we want to be using that device. Now, I am not 100% sure which device is on the board, on the eval board um, that it came with. So I will have to do a little research on that and figure out what comes on it. But uh, irregardlessly, and hereby notwithstanding, it is still a zillion percent better than the $3 ones. So there's the hot setup. Is you buy yourself the $30 one, um, the Sensurian, and then you, you calibrate your little cheapo guys uh, and you get on with life. Because I must have literally 
15 of these things in play, the cheap uh, $3 ones. Yes, it may be. Yeah, so Wes reports that he was having trouble the other day and the hygrometer was at 11. It could have been at 20% relative humidity, which, by the way, uh, well, you tell me, what what um, what filament were you running? Was that a uh, PLA or a PETG? Um, <clears throat> the PLA... You know, you hear all sorts of stories from people um, as to which which can take some humidity and which can't. But the um, you want to come in on audio, uh, Wes? Would that be easier? Oh, you were using the Overture PETG. Would you like to come in on audio? And I think you're I think you're equipped for that right now. Anyway, let me know if you want to do that. I have found that the PETG. Uh, over extrudes and provides a rough surface for the same reason when it gets wet. He says, no, no problem. <laughs> uh, so I, I take a look at your, take a look at your, uh, your desiccant on that one, especially if it's, if it's an indicating desiccant. Uh, also, I got a question this week on drying filaments. So let me just throw this up. I just stole this off of the, Prusa website. Uh, of course, this is all in Celsius or centigrade, but there's your drying temperatures for um, different filaments. So, for example, PLA, they're calling for um, 45C and six hours. I use 120F, which I think is about the same, but notice that they say six hours. So it takes a while. And PETG, 55C. And six hours. And I use, um, let's see if I can remember. I think I use 140 or 150F, whatever the, the uh, appropriate conversion is. So the thing that should be pointed out is the time. You can't, there's no such thing as spending too much time drying the filament. There is such a thing as spending too little time drying the filament. Uh, so it's not a four-hour process. It, it, it takes longer. Okay? Um, so I, I, I still remain a firm believer that if we, if we start with dry filament, all sorts of problems go away, and then you can work on the other stuff. So on the topic of, of temperatures and filament, I was getting my, my thumb thing made, and... The artisan that was making my thumb splint, uh, I'll give a shout out to Michaela, who is uh, an awesome professional, uh, grabbed this stuff from a company called Taylor Splint, uh, Taylor spelt like the profession, and threw it in a um, 167 degree Fahrenheit water bath for about five minutes. And it was exactly in the right pliability to cut it up and apply it to my hand and start shaping it to get the right shape out of the splint. And I said, do you have a, do you have a spare piece of that? You know, so I grabbed the scrap and I wrote down the temperature, 167F. Pretty cool material. And I would imagine that there, there may be some applications where you want to grab a piece of plastic and mold it to something real quick. Uh, there was a two-inch thick catalog of this material. 
it was uh, it was pretty impressive. So that was a neat process to watch, and I'm sure that Michaela was not used to having, uh, you know, a ridiculous nerd to work on who was taking notes practically. Well, I was taking notes. I wrote it right here on the plastic. <laughs> so that was a great experience, and it was it was truly a uh, a work of art and and science, uh, really impressive. And it's doing its job preventing me from uh, going into the danger zone with my thumb. So that was uh, that was the story of uh, of the thumb and another story of plastic and temperatures. Um, <laughs> it could be Kydex. So Unix Carbide is suggesting that um, this might be Kydex foam. Uh, not foam, uh, plastic. And you know what? Uh, it kind of seems like that because I have some Kydex um, knife stuff and uh, even uh, uh, pistol stuff. I think I have a, a a holster that has some Kydex on it. And I think you're right. Although Kydex is also a trademark. So can we get, can we figure out what the trademark is? on the Kydex, that would be interesting. Um, or I should say what the material is associated with Kydex, uh, the trademark. Yeah, so anyway, the, the, this is the stuff. We're going to have to get some of this to play with, I think. Uh, very impressive uh, operation. So, yeah, look it up. And I will report back as soon as we figure out what uh, what the material really is, because I checked the catalog that that uh, Michaela let me flip through, and they were not telling you what the material was. <laughs> they were just saying, you know, here's how to order it. Of course, but that was kind of cool. And I know there's other people who are uh, listening to this that have gone through similar similar things, and they know what I'm talking about. So that was the uh, that was the thumb story. That was very interesting material. So um, also this week, oh well. Also while I was seeing Michaela about the thumb, I brought some show and tell. I brought the device that I'm now calling my uh, my ergo wedge, uh, and the ergo wedge is the wedge that I sit my uh, trackball on. So. I, I brought the trackball that I use, which is the um, the Deft Pro, and I put it down on the table uh, to show Michaela and show you know how my arm sits when I use it. And I said, "Yeah, this is the trackball I picked," and she started getting like wide-eyed, like that looks horrible. And I said, "And then what I did is I made this, I made the wedge." And the wedge uh, elevates the back of the trackball 10 degrees and it rolls it to the right 8 degrees. And I, I set it up on the wedge and then I let Michaela observe my arm on the, on the wedge. And there was this pregnant pause and she said, I really like that. That looks, those angles look really good. So I got a pat on the back for uh, getting that correct. And uh, she's still uh, not a big fan of the trackball, but she did say that my uh, 
my ergo wedge was a big solution uh, for this particular trackball. So that's the story. If anybody's interested in my ergo wedge, I would be happy to post the um, STL file for this or even the, um, the Fusion 360 backup file, the 3MF file. Uh, but that was good. So I will continue to be using my ergo wedges, which I currently use in, I think, five places, which sounds crazy. K-Bonk is here, and we will not point out that he's late. K-Bonk reports 88 and partly cloudy in the Philadelphia. Late but present. Dude, if you were early and totally vacuous, that would not be good. So welcome back. Um. So yeah, I learned I learned something at the uh, and taught something apparently at at the uh, certified hand therapist who made my splint, and that was uh, that was excellent. Um. So uh, we uh, we got eight balancing stands built, and they are uh, they are going to go into a process right now because I have a lot of them uh, made. I am now going to take data uh, on the balancing stands. So the the errors that we identified as being the important errors that we we need to control is if you imagine the, the parallel bars, right, uh, the twist between them, we want to characterize the twist, and also the arbor taper, uh, we want to characterize that. So I came up with two methods. The first method is we're going to take each balancing stand and put it on the granite surface plate, and then we're going to measure the height. Oh, let me let me grab one for show and tell. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna put this down on the surface plate just like you use it normally, okay? And then we're going to measure four places, the the back and the front of each rod at the top, okay? So the height of four points, front and back left rod, front and back right rod. Now we're going to take the difference of differences. <laughs> so that's that that number is going to be the twist in the rods. And I'm going to repeat that for uh, for all eight units, and we're going to collect data on the twist because the the um, the tilt fore and aft is adjustable with the adjusting knob, and the tilt side to side is basically not a big factor. So that'll get us the twist on the on the rods. I expect that to be excellent, but we have to put a number on it. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to take the the arbor. Okay, so here's the here's the arbor, which of course this is the most controversial part of the whole thing. Everybody is like, "What? Can you do that? It's 3D printed." Oh my god. I'm like, "Yeah, okay." So, we're going to take a hub, a Sopgo hub. I'm going to first inspect it to make sure that the taper of the hub is concentric with the cylinder, the inner cylinder of the hub. So this way I could take a hub and I could put it onto the arbor 
um, onto the the collet here, and then I could spin it on V blocks and measure the total indicated runout once it's mounted on our 3D printed arbor, or at least our 3D printed uh, taper collet. And I'm going to gather that data. And then we're going to see what the magnitude of those numbers look like. And I believe that we'll be able to show that it is fine. It's totally adequate. And one of the one of the things we have to deal with is that this is one of those processes that you could get totally crazy with, right? You you could be, oh, I have to I have to be able to balance this thing, you know, down to you know nanograms uh, per micron, uh, or or nanogram microns if you want to if you want an arm, uh, a moment arm. Um, but there's a there is a limit, and what I've been what I've been doing and what I've been teaching is that, you know, you you set the limit, and I'm going to be uh, uh, showing that in a video uh, in the not too distant future as to how you how do you set that limit and know that you're good enough. And there's a bunch of ways to do that, but <clears throat> I believe once we collect all this data, we'll say, yeah, we're we're doing good. Um, so that's coming up. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to it. I also came up with some other ideas for improving things, which may or may not be uh, worth worth trying. See, I'm, I'm trying to put my arbor away in the arbor, in the arbor place. What do we call that? The arbor cradle. The uh... anyway. Okay, so that's what's new in in balancing stand land. Uh, K-Bonk says, uh, with respect to the thumb thing, you were looking at mice with thumb trackball. Okay, so you you may notice, th this is a public service announcement, okay? You may notice that this trackball is operated by fingers, like, like so, okay? And stand by, I'm going to grab something else for show and tell. So this trackball, this is a Logitech trackball. This trackball is operated by the thumb. Okay. Like so. I believe that this trackball uh, was invented by a nefarious um, hand surgeon to make more business. <laughs> this is not good. I have... And if you want one, I'll send it to you. I have six of them sitting on the shelf that I took out of service specifically because the thumb operating the trackball ended up being a truly bad idea from a, an ergonomic standpoint. And one might argue that that was the start of my problems, um, except that I have plenty of data of family history and I know that it was coming one way or the other. Uh, yeah, oh, is that the one? <laughs> Yeah, sorry, bud. <laughs> Look, it could be fine. And there could be, you know, you could get it and think it was wonderful. I used it for literally for years, uh, a thumb-operated trackball. Uh, but now I'm having thumb problems. Do I think they're directly related? Actually, I don't. But I'm just raising the flag. Think about your ergonomics. So that's the major difference between that one 
and this one, this is why I switched, is that this is operated with the fingers. So Michaela said to me that, I know we're getting back <laughs> to the other topic, said to me that, you know, even that was going to strain the fingers, and she was recommending a vertical mouse. There are such things where your your arm is basically vertical and you move the mouse around. I have tried them. In fact, she grabbed one to show me and it had the same problems as the one I have sitting on my shelf over here. And that was, it, it doesn't work. There's no way to anchor your hand. Uh, anyway, we could have this discussion another day. I didn't like that either. So I've landed on my, uh, my Deft Pro plus my Ergo Wedge. So getting back to uh, balancing stands. So we're going to gather data on all eight units, right? So we're going to end up with eight data sheets that says, here's the measured twist, here's the measured concentricity, um, and those are the important numbers for proceeding with balancing. Uh, I will report these numbers to the you know to everybody, and I think I'm going to want to uh, at least for the first twenty units that go out the door. I will be collecting this data. And then we could do math. You know, we could say, look, your, your wheel, um, you know, you, if you have an imbalance in the wheel of this many, uh, you know, gram, what would it be? It would be gram meters or, or uh, you know, some, some moment arm that um, the imbalance or the error in the balancing stand represents the noise floor of the measurement and you, you can't get any better than that so i'll be taking data i'll be reporting back um but i'm pretty confident that it's well within the limits of what we need to do <sighs> that's a long way to say that and if anybody has any questions on the balancing stands or any of that stuff feel free to ask i'm happy to uh to discuss it um so then along comes uh <laughs> along comes bamboo. So all of my all of my 3D printing in the last uh you know 3 weeks uh at least 100% of it has been the bamboos. And I told you recently I, I added a third bamboo. Um and I've been very happy with them uh, overall. The the new software dropped um, last week. So there's new firmware for the printers and there's new slicer software. I think it's 1.6 and 1.7 respectively. And it, it, it all sounded good. There was nothing earth shattering except they, they did have a calibration feature which I thought was quite significant. When, when you start... Um, <laughs> Nicely done, Carl. Carl says, it sounds like I've been bamboozled. <laughs> yeah. There's another story coming in a couple of weeks you, where you may, you may wish to bring that, bring that quote up again. <laughs> I won't spoil it right now. But um, So the new, the new calibration feature lets you calibrate filaments um automatically or manually and and derive this uh number called the k factor which is an extrusion factor and um but the best thing about it is it, previously it was automatic 
So you'd start a print with a certain filament. It would print this test pattern, and then it would go read the test pattern with its uh, LiDAR camera. I, LiDAR was in quotes. And then it would figure out a, a correction for the extrusion factor, and then off it would go, and it would print. And it's been stunningly good. My problem before this software showed up was what happens when, hey, Proteum's here. Welcome aboard, sir. Um, okay, <laughs> Machine Enzy is heading off to work on time. Excellent. You can catch the rest later on the uh, various channels. Take care, buddy. Have a good uh, have a good day at work. So, what happens when you do a multi-filament print? So, I started making my trays and lids for the PFG stones using the black uh, PT PETG to mark, you know, to put the logo in and mark, you know, put the nomenclature in on the tray or the lid, and then the red would would finish off. Uh, uh, Carl asks, is there any update as to whether the LiDAR is really LiDAR? I'll be honest, I have not put any time into this. So if anybody wants to jump jump in on that, uh, feel free. I, I don't know. Okay, I know lasers are involved. <laughs> you know, things were spoken, uh, things were done, lasers were involved, uh, but I more to follow. I don't have any information on it. So if you use multiple filaments like I am using, it only calibrates one filament. And I had a problem because it was choosing to do its calibration on what I will call the minor filament. In other words, the black filament. I had black and red. And it did this whole calibration routine on the black filament. And I'm like, uh, boy, if I was choosing which one to use for my calibration, I would use... I would use the red filament because the red filament is is most of the most of the product. So I couldn't figure out how to get control of that. And he, along comes the software drop, and they are letting you calibrate all your filaments, and it stores the calibration data in the printer. So I'm like, oh, this is actually a pretty nice way to go because if you load up your printer with four rolls of filament and you run the calibration routine on all four rolls of filament, now when you go to print, you can turn off automatic calibration and let it do its thing. And as long as you're doing what we're all doing, which is keeping our filament dry, it's going to, at least for that whole roll, if not for the whole life of you using that type of filament, it's going to be fine. So... That was pretty nifty, and I played with that a little bit. And you can choose, you could say to it, calibrate one or two or three or all four rolls that are in the AMS. And off it goes, and it does it, stores the information, and life is good. That's when I started to get into trouble. <laughs> they had a new, a new manual uh, method. And I said, golly, I wonder how their automatic method compares to the to what a human would choose so i said let's do some of that so you if you choose the manual method you can only choose one filament you'll see why and it now prints uh 
it actually prints in the filament a number, k equals 0.02 or whatever, and then it will print a line of filament, and it uses this little weird method, which I don't 100% understand, and it'll get skinny and fat and skinny and fat and skinny and fat, and then it'll go and do another line with a different value of k factor. And it does this literally from the top of the plate to the bottom of the plate. And now you have this wide range of k-factors, and you can look at it visually. Can we just enjoy the fact that I said you could look at it visually, as if there's another way to look at it? And pick the one that is not doesn't have a lot of bumps in it. And in fact, it goes from like fat blob and then missing filament, fat blob and missing filament, all the way down to a perfect line. Uh, and, and above the perfect line, there's a, the, a line that has sort of a little undulation to it. And then below the perfect line, there's lines that have a little undulation to it. And your job is to find the one that's not undulating, the non-undulating filament, which is a remarkable, remarkable coincidence because I played bass for non-undulating filament back in the 80s. So I did this, and I came up with numbers, and I did this about... I think by now, I think I've done it four times. And the numbers from manual calibration to automatic calibration are quite different. <sighs> so if I, so at first I was disappointed. Then I got excited because they gave you the manual option. So if I really cared, and frankly, I, I really care, especially when I make the trays and the lids and all the, 3D and, and now the balancing stands, I really care. So I will be doing the manual calibration and using the Mark I Mod 4 eyeball to pick the magic number. Now, were they way off? And was this a showstopper? No. And if you don't have time and if you're not that critical, can you run the automatics and take their numbers? Yes. And they, they even tell you that. They tell you, it's, it's not going to make or break your print. So that's what we discovered. The, the uh, automatic calibration is a little offset from what you would choose um, with the Mark I Mod 4 eyeball. So that was a good discovery. I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad we, f we found it. Uh, and I'm very glad they put the, the feature into the software. So overall... Big improvement. I would rather know than not know. I would rather have a, an okay tool and then the option of using a really good tool depending on how much time I have. And Wes says, make sure the eyeball is calibrated. <laughs> yeah. And there was a little trick to it. You know, I found that you had to look look uh, at a shallow angle on the plate, which, by the way, is exactly what their little LiDAR camera does, and have a white background you know, for the for the reflection off of the uh, off of the filament, and you could you could get a really good uh, picture of what was going on, and it, it doesn't take very long. So, again, you have the ability to look beyond the requirements, right? To see the very fine details. What does that sound like? It sounds like PFG stones. It's like, do you need to stone every surface? to see the, 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 the details of the grind if it's already within tolerance, you can choose to do it or you could choose not to do it, but you have the ability 
to see beyond, you know, the 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 level of accuracy that you had before or the le- level of detail that you had before. That's what this manual thing um, is doing. Uh, DBX says he used a 40x magnifier. Sure, a- absolutely. I mean, it, it's 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 crazy. Robert Simpson correctly says stone all the things. You are correct, sir. So that's my report on uh, on the bamboo cal- calibration, which of course is their software, and I like it. I still like it. I think it's an improvement and, you know, a tool that lets you get, uh, you know, move the decimal point over is always welcome. So that was the, uh, that was the bamboo report. Um, CJ Stevens says there was a song about that. Yes, there was. (laughs) If you wait long enough, there's a song about all of it. Um, But I don't roll my stones. Okay, moving on. Um, I think we hit all the high points of what I of what I got done this week. Um, oh, and I also had some experience. I, I think I talked about this briefly last week um, about these humidity cards. I'm just bringing this up because it's sitting on my desk. And one of the uh, kind of funny things that I learned was uh, that in in practical use for our levels of humidity. You had to discern between uh, a little, a little pink, and a little blue. So five percent of males <laughs> have a uh, color vision deficiency, uh, unfortunately called color blindness, which I enjoy. And seeing the a little pink and the a little blue, that was not happening. So the humidity cards were kind of a kind of a lose. And I forgot to mention that earlier. So uh, the uh, the uh, the chair will now accept any questions about any topic or any snide remarks, and we will uh, move on for there. While I take some tea. And uh, if I forgot to talk about anything I promised I would talk about, you could also yell at me. So I don't think, um, you know, I know we, we spent a lot of time talking about the whole humidity storage thing. And I think once we have it nailed, we have it nailed and we don't have to, uh, to dwell on it anymore. But I think it's another variable we've got to get rid of. Um, so who here that is on chat is currently using bamboo printers. Actually, why don't we do it this way? If if you're in chat, just just put a one word reply as to what brand printers you're using. I'm kind of curious. I know that we have quite the range. Uh, okay, so Proteum's on bamboo. DBX is on bamboo. Tim is on Prusa. CJ Stevens on Flash Forge. Wes is on bamboo. Um, cool. And I know that um, Tuck is on Ender, but dreaming of the bamboo. You can only buy one, Tuck, if if you spell it correctly. <laughs> uh, Oscar says none yet, sadly. Well, you know, hang in there. 
Uh, Unix Carbide says, uh, I can't even read that. Is that an L? FL Sun Delta Home Hack Building a Voron Trident? F1. Oh, is that F1 Sun? Anyway, awesome. Robert Isaac says Prusa in the labs. Nice. Creality for K Bonk. X1C for Flat Lapper. That's, that's a bamboo for those of you playing at home. Lulzbot Taz5. Paul, there's nothing wrong with that. I ran a Taz6 for, for quite a while. Um, excellent. It's funny. I was on Facebook, and you know how Facebook uh, uh, Facebook does these, you know, three years ago, four years ago, you know, memory things. And at some point it came up with the memory of me switching over to the Prusas <laughs> from the Taz. Uh, CJ Stevens says, and a box of future Voron. So my friend uh, Adam, uh, MHM Machining, he is a Voron builder also. He's got a Voron coming that is huge. So stand by. I'll let him uh, unleash it on the world when he's ready. Uh, so I may have a story in a week Maybe a little more than a week, but I may maybe by next week I'll have a story about um, bamboo customer support. It's it's developing. Nothing crucial, nothing nothing earth shattering, but I have a story developing. Uh, Unix Carbide says one interesting thing for the homebrew printer freaks: bamboo influence is good there too. Orca Slicer just got a major update. Um, lots of good ideas mutating between printers and the slicers. Yeah, I, I think the whole bamboo effect has really uh, kicked a whole bunch of the market into gear, uh, not to dwell on the Prusa thing. Uh, Unix says Orca slicer is based on bamboo, which is based on Prusa slicer code base, which is, I think, in turn based on somebody else. Um yeah, I think it's it's very healthy, and we're getting the re, we're getting the good results of it. And Super Slicer is the original, uh, according to Proteum. Well, there you go. I I have I think the whole industry has been steadily improving, and it's uh, it's been super useful. Um. So that, that's what's going on. I, I have a, one of my customers said, uh, "Can you make a can you make me a balancing stand for the bigger wheels?" Uh, in other words, twelve inch wheels. And I'm looking into that. Um, I don't think I'm going to be doing that any. Uh, I'm not going to be doing that for commercial release anytime soon. But I am I am looking at that. So, uh, what do you mean, K-Bonk? Rinse and repeat with bamboo. Oh, uh, Proteum clarifies. He says that the original, <laughs> or as the kids these days say, the, uh, the OG slicer is just slicer, where the E is a three. And one of the reasons they 
how to lose that name is because every time you say it, you have to say uh, the three means E. The E is a three. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was um, the predecessor. So uh, that's what's going on here. Um, I got some orders out yesterday uh, for PFG stones. It's pretty cool in one day when you ship an order to Taiwan, you ship an order to Quebec, you ship an, and, and you, I, it's not shipped yet, but I have another order sitting in the queue for Sweden. It's a very international customer base for which I am grateful and I'm happy to serve. Oh, starting a new print of the same object. Um, on the bamboo, uh, the bamboo will, well, let's, let's, uh, let me back up. When you send a print to the bamboo, you could do it one of two ways. You could send it via uh, basically transferring it to the SD card in the printer, in which case it just literally puts it on the SD card and, and that's it. That's what I do with my repeat prints. So the trays, the lids, um, they, they get sent to the SD card. And then anytime I want to make another one, I just walk up to the printer, hit the button, and I make another one. So I think that's what you're talking about, rinse and repeat. The second way you can print is, and I learned something new this week, is you can hit the, the print button, and it goes through the cloud service, um, and then your printer starts up and starts printing, and you get video and all that good stuff. Now, normally, that print that you just sent through the cloud service, the, the last print you sent that way is kept on the printer. There is a, I discovered the checkbox where if you want that print to also be cached to the SD card, there is an option, there's a checkbox that you check and it'll work the same way. So I don't do that because most of my printing is done using the so-called send function where it just puts it on the SD card. Um, but that is an option uh, to, to make that happen. The other thing that happens, which I, I kind of want to tell them about, is you get notifications about your print and print failure or print success and whatever only if you send it through the cloud service and you don't get it if you if you start the print from from the machine which is kind of a bummer i kind of i kind of would like to get those notifications um so there you go this week uh i i'm hoping to release some good news um this week Totally separate topic. We haven't talked about it. Uh, I'm waiting to hear about something which I will release uh, on Sunday. Uh, and probably we'll do a, an Instagram post like immediately. But then we'll, we'll talk about it next Sunday. So that's, I know, that's kind of like, <laughs> that's kind of lame. I haven't given you any information. But I'm pretty happy about it. So we'll just stay tuned. Um, all right. Well, if you guys have any other questions, do it now. Because otherwise we're going to bring this bring this in for a landing thank you to everybody on uh, discord uh, so evils said I'm looking for glasses like yours any idea where a European may find that these were 3m safety glasses and there was some 
it was some stateside company that that did it. Let me see. I'll take that as homework, and I'll get back to you on that. Uh, where to get the safety glasses? Uh, obviously, obviously these are prescription. You can even you can see my bifocals in there, um, and I, I they've worked out really nicely. Uh, Robert Isaac says, picked up a 0-25 to Mitutoyo mic on eBay to celebrate your formal move from Imperial to Metric. Well, I can't wait to meet her. Okay. Uh, almost says, thank you. You're welcome, sir. 3M sounds like it would be available in Europe. I, I agree. Uh, so let me, let me look into that, and I will post something to the Instagram and certainly have something for next uh, Sunday. Uh, I don't. I just don't remember the vendor name. It was not cheap, by the way, but it also was completely problem free when it came in. So, if you're going to order uh, custom glasses on the intertubes, you need to know. Uh, you need to have your prescription, but you also need to know this other magic number called the PD or pupillary distance. That's the distance between your pupils, and I do a lot of ordering from a company called Zenny optical z-e-n-n-i i've been very happy with them there's uh, there's their logo hashtag not sponsored um and they give you these little these little rulers and they teach you how to use it you basically put this on your on your schnoz and you look in a mirror and you can pick up your interpupillary distance yeah there you go you know all about it Yes, and so if you go to your optometrist and you get your, you know, your eyes measured and they give you your prescription, you say, excuse me, can you please tell me my uh, pupillary distance or interpupillary distance? And they will say, oh, yeah, sure, and they'll write it because it's not a normal thing that they record, which is weird, but have them do that and then you're all set, okay? And I'll get you the name of that other vendor. So Zenny... Zenny had um, a limited selection of safety glasses, which I didn't like, and that's why I ended up going with uh, these. Let me see if there's a if there's a brand name on it. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a marketing hint right there. Is you should always have your brand on everything. From center for each eye. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Order once, read twice. Okay, I think we did it, guys. It's the top of the hour. Uh, you're all awesome. Thanks for being here on this magnificent Sunday. I am going to go do some useful things. However, I am not going to work in the shop today. I decided that my uh, right arm needs a little bit of a rest. So I'll be back at it tomorrow. And uh, if you're curious, if you're keeping score at home, next up is four-inch rectangular stones because I'm getting yelled at. Thank you, Proteum. I uh, appreciate it. Unix Carbide, take care. Enjoy uh, Tokyo, And uh, even though it's Monday. Flat Lapper. <laughs> he says, thanks for the coffee. You are now out of cream. Uh, D-A-T-2-T, have a good one yourself, sir. Nice seeing you. Tuck, glad you were here. Uh, rock out there, Unix. Paul, thanks for being here. DBX, you're awesome. Uh, 
And uh, we'll see you guys next week on Sunday at the usual time for PFG Live. We're PFG and so are you. See you there.